Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke App Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody. Pre-recording as last week or this week, whenever you're listening to this, was my birthday, and I took a little time off to celebrate, but I'm really excited. A couple of weeks ago, you all got to hear my interview with Tori Stevens from Grist and the founder of the Fix Climate Fiction Contest. And so I've been so fortunate to be able to interview some of the authors of these climate futures. And just as a reminder, Imagine 2200 is a fixed climate fiction contest recognizing stories that envision the next 180 years of equitable climate progress, imagining intersectional worlds of abundance, adaptation, reform, and hope. And Today, I am in conversation with author Akem Alexis, and we are discussing his story, The Lexicographer and One Tree Island. After an oceanic rapture, a lone survivor adapts to his new reality in ways both mental and physical. I told you all probably back in 2020 that, you know, as the world was being turned upside down, by COVID. And we were in quarantine and indoors and trying to figure out what life was going to look like. It's crazy to me to believe that in a few months, it will be three years, right? Since that time. And, you know, because reality had just basically started to mirror science fiction, a friend of mine suggested that I get into Afrofuturism, that I kind of allow my mind to leave the present and to leave this world and to just go and explore other worlds. And I'll say that in many ways, Afrofuturism, African futurism, and science fiction pretty much saved my mental health at the beginning of the pandemic. And I've devoured so many books since. 
all of them, however, have kind of set their worlds in a place of dystopia, right? Sci-fi has generally come from the destruction of the planet and now we're in out of space or things are so terrible. Now we live in a water world because we, you know, have ruined everything. And what I love about Imagine 2200's contest is it is asking creative writers to think from a place of abundance, to envision a world that isn't dealing with scarcity, but to use the climate crisis as a way to use these obstacles as opportunities to create new worlds. It's not to say that crisis won't happen, but I think that what we do with it, how we think about it, how we act on it, is the difference between coming from a scarcity mindset and one of abundance. And so I love the idea that as we are no longer in the impending climate crisis, we are living inside of the climate crisis, for us to imagine not our impending doom, but what are some of the opportunities that can come out of the catastrophes? Where do we see ourselves? And again, I've expressed this so many times on this show and on others that you can't dream from a place of rage. Rest is required in order for us to imagine, to dream, to go into that alternate scape of reality. And you can't do that if you're overwhelmed and overworked. And so I think that it is also really important for us to come to understand that some of our best ideas have come from a relaxed mind, have come from a walk in nature, have come from being surrounded by family and loved ones. And so what does it look like to dream of a future 180 years from now that is full of possibility instead of panic? So coming up next, my conversation with author Akem Alexis, and his story, The Lexicographer and One Tree Island. Friends, I'm very excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily for the very first time, Akem Alexis, who is uh, a short story writer, and his piece uh, became an Imagine 2200 finalist. If you all remember uh, from an initial conversation that I had uh, back with Tori Stevens uh, about futurism, Afrofuturism, African futurism, um, and what it means to create a climate positive future uh, in, in, in literature. So, uh, Akem, I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, your piece um, entitled The Lexicographer and the One Tree Island. Um, I, I have to tell you, I just want to give you an opportunity. I want people to read it, but I want you to give people the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity to give an overview um, of, of, of your story. So it, it's so beautiful and we'll dig into it, but, um, tell me about, tell me about its origins and, and, and the, the theme of the story. Well, I'm happy to be here by the way. So thank you for that um, introduction. Um, well, the theme is hope, but what happens in the story without too much, too many spoilers is that, um, set in the future on the on a Caribbean island, uh, let's say my Caribbean island, Trinidad. And what happens is after a number of years, 
and rising sea levels. The water has eaten away the island, leaving one tree and one boy with some animals. And these entities tend to, but in the future, they try to figure out a way to keep the island uh, going along with a, a surprise guest <laughs> halfway yes. through the story. Um, so it's, you know, it's about resilience. It's about, um, it centers um, black folk. And I think that it was a challenge for me to write. And resilience, hope, um, climate change, destruction, and how we survive amidst, amidst that, that destruction. So that is what I, I hope it did. I mean, I, 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 I will tell you that um, I started the story and I, I, I mean, we'll ju- I'll talk about it at high levels because I, I really want people to go um, and find it and read it and we will link to it. Um, yeah. But I want to talk about the, the, the term that you use in the story, oceanic rapture. Um, because it both obviously harkens to religious scripture around the rapture and, uh, and, and, and the, and the coming back of, you know, uh, of, of, of Christ. Right. And then it, you know, and then we're talking about this tidal wave, this tsunami that blankets the sky and kind of, and takes over, um, all of these Caribbean islands. And of course, you know, my heart goes to the places that we've seen in the news and in the headlines like Pakistan and Nigeria and Puerto Rico and, you know, parts of Germany and France that had been um, underwater, uh, that three quarters of, of, of the landmass in Pakistan is underwater. Uh, over 30 of the states in, 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 in Nigeria are underwater. So talk to me about the the visualization of this oceanic rapture and and what that conjured for you and this this idea this you know and it goes back to I think it was my god was this the early 2000s or late 90s the major tsunami in in uh in Thailand right um that was that was that was that happened via uh underwater earthquake um so just that that imagery, can you talk about about that? Yes, of course. Um, thank you for you know linking all those real life <laughs> issues because <laughs> it really helps with all that what I'm going to say. I think the ocean and its attendants have been portrayed in the media um, as very vicious and rightly so. Um, we are dealing with something that is particularly um, violent and can be, and we are contributing to that. On the other end, for me and this story, I'm from Trinidad, I'm from the Caribbean, and rising sea levels is something that is real, right? Um, Our island, Trinidad and Tobago, um, our capital city is built on the sea. And at some point in time, it's already beginning to do so. The sea will want back its place, <laughs> mm. right? And apart from that, apart from the West contributing to um, most of the climate issues we have right mm-hmm. now, it's going to affect small island developing states like ours. 
or other developing countries or underdeveloped countries. And we see it every day. Um, so as we say, hearkening back to things like religion, hearkening back to um, the, the sea itself is something that, uh, we, although we can track changes, we can um, do investigations, we can find understandings, it's unpredictable at times. And mm-hmm. when we add to that unpredictability and that unknowing, we are setting up ourselves for some prime failure in the future. For me as well, I think that we tend to underestimate the power the sea has um, for claiming back what exactly it owns. We, we don't we don't own anything mm. here. We tend to feel as we do, but we don't. Um, so I think that for oceanic rapture wasn't something that was very hard for me to to pick up on, and you know. Employing the story. Apart from that, I think the sea is beautiful. I think there are a lot of things that we can use to help our understandings of climate change, how we can curb it, because I mean, it's 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 happening. It's not something that I think we can necessarily prevent. But <clears throat> it's it's so it's so interesting because I entered the competition last year. And I didn't touch anything with regards to oceanic rapture. I, I it was far from the back of my head. So this year, I really decided to clamp down on something that I think is close to home. So that is how I ended up ended up coming up with this, and it took off from there, I guess. <laughs> you know, one of the other the 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 other kind of elements there were so many um and it's and it's so beautifully visual uh your story is the idea of this two gendered or no gendered space and yeah. the idea that over time that you know the boy is said to be developing little gills on his cheeks and as the cities that have been destroyed they're being rebuilt by AI intelligence, by robots. And you talk about in the, in the story about the adaptability of humans and animals, right? And the, and the ability to, 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 to uh, the ability that humans and animals have to adapt and that robots do not. So while they are rebuilding, right? And they can do the construction. Yes. Um, the adaptability piece speak to that because again we are at a time when it's like i feel part in the real world that we are living both in the future and the present at the same time when you're seeing mm-hmm. technology and the reliance that we have on technology and the development of ai and you know and coding and all of these things but that are still embodying the same type of systemic racism, the same type of ignorance. Um, And so I thought that this idea of why humans and animals still matter, right, Um, that you presented was just so powerful. So talk talk to me about about that. Hmm. Well, you know, discussions around things like climate climate change or any other um, drastic issues that make our future look very dystopian we tend to depend on technology, look to technology, um, absorb technology as the answer. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we can't move ahead without technology. 
However, in doing so, eroding the importance of humanism and animalism is counterproductive. And in this story, especially in the theme of hope, hope is, is a word that is um, considered kind of like intangible, airy and wishful um, in that mm-hmm. way. And fiction tends to put words to work and thereby allowing for like hope as praxis. How can hope mm. become tangible reality? In doing so, centering um, the human and animal connection is important. In fact, I think it is top priority. And apart from that, centering humans that are minorities are, should be at the center, more particularly because these are the people who are mostly affected by um, these changes in the world. So when we think about and talk about climate change, technology is important, but I, 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 I couldn't see myself writing something where te- technology was the answer alone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in this story, I think often, I kind of. <laughs> I was going to say no yeah. because oftentimes in in futurism in sci-fi, technology is the hero, right? The yes. robots are the robots are 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 the heroes of the story, mm-hmm. and humans are the ones are I looked at as the destroyers. And your yes. story was the complete opposite. I wanted to turn that on its head because I am very wary. <laughs> Although I have Alexa behind me, I am very wary <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to to um, AI and and robots and what we think that they're capable of or incapable of. You know, um, as we move ahead into the future, especially when it comes to um, intersectionality, etc. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're. I, I'm obviously I'm not an expert in that, but I don't think there's an inherent programming that we could um, come up with to help robots um, just combat the things that we have to combat in mm-hmm. the real world, right? Um, so turning that on its head was very important to me especially from as somebody from the Caribbean, where, you know, we're the last to be told <laughs> about yeah. anything and the first to be affected. Yep. Right? And I, I, I remember in the story, I think near to the end, like I kind of made it seem, the, the robots themselves seem, seem like danger. <laughs> yes. They, yeah, see, they, and, they see, you know, the the... You know, as as uh, again, folks, you you must <laughs> read uh, <laughs> you, you must read the short story. Um, but as the the ship comes, you know, to potentially rescue. Right. That's this, this idea. You've been yeah. living on this one, you know, this one tree island surrounded by a barrier reef. And, you know, and, and you've been there. So you must you must want to get back to, quote unquote, civilization. Um, yeah. and, and then recognizing that the robots and the ship in and of themselves is some weird enslavement and looping that is, that has yeah. happened, that has, that has mm-hmm. the people that have decided to go backwards, right. To go back to this place instead of preserve, um, what is present to them and what they know. I thought that that was really powerful as well, Akem, because I was like, my God, you know, yes. 
this civilization is being rebuilt, but the questions being asked, do you even know what kind of food they have? Do you even know if you what language they speak? Do you even know who is rebuilding you know, who is rebuilding these things? Are they um similar to to um colonialization? They are taking you to where, to what, and why, and when you get mm. there, what mm. are the provisions for you? You know, and I think that's very important as we think about the future. And you can't, although the theme was hope, you can't get to hope without going through catastrophe. And in the midst of catastrophe, how do you unmoor yourself from that while keeping your identity, right? And advocating for yourself in the process. And yeah, that was, that is, you don't know. I intentionally did not um, include any extra information on New Conland, which I intentionally called it that. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> we don't know. I, I don't I don't think we, we will know what that means for us. And obviously New Conland is um alluding to one place in the West. However, um the West, strangely enough, they regulate what is a developed or underdeveloped um country. And they also mm-hmm. contribute to keeping those countries underdeveloped or developing. So um, those things are, are really important to me or were really important to me when I wrote this story because um, we really can't put our finger on what would happen to our heritage and our culture mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. climate crisis increases. And it, it is increasing every day. It is, it is at a height right now, but it's increasing every day. And there are people who are working steadfastly in macro and micro ways to help curb this using technology, of course. Um, I have a friend right now, um, Tanika Griffith, big up to you, who's doing her um, master's on crowdsourcing as a means of flood, man- flood risk management. And that's something that we experience here um, at an extreme, extreme cost. A little bit of rain will fall and places would flood crazy. Right, and that's because the sea is doing what the sea does. The weather is doing what the weather does, and with rising um, global temperatures, etc., and intensified weather events, you can't. There's very little we could do at this point to help regress that. So I think we need to look at what we as human beings are capable of doing without technology, in mm. ensuring that. We, we meaning we, our ancestors, their ancestors, what do we hold when we move forward into the future? And what can we ensure we don't lose as a result of that? That was important to me, especially near the end of the story. How do account the people of Trinidad and Tobago um, think about climate change and the climate crisis? Because, you know, in the U.S., right, uh, we're still trying to convince people that climate change is real, right, that it's happening. And regard- <laughs> regardless of uh, of once in a century hurricanes and tornadoes and fire mm-hmm. seasons that are happening every year, but they're once in a century, um, regardless yeah. of, you know, consistent devastation and droughts and how it is affecting our food chain and our supplies and all of these things. Uh, it, it is as if, you know, the, the ignorance is just, is a cancer. 
is a cancer uh, mm-hmm. on this country. And so is there this feeling that, that there is a similar divide or because it is an island that is, you know, at the will, at the mercy, let's say, of the environment, is that something that is just, you don't need to convince people they know? Right. That's a good question. And although I can't speak for everybody, what I would say is that, well, I think that maybe this is similar, the similar, um, a similar sentiment in America, you could tell me. But people tend to get caught up in the, the right now things. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Um, I need a job right now. We need money right now. We need education right now. Inflation is really high right now. Um, there are, uh, you know, huge other gamut of issues that are happening right now and they could touch and they could see and they could feel. With climate change, policymakers and those who um, dedicate their lives to it, they have to make the argument that this thing that you can't see is happening. And although you can't see it, and I have to try to make it tangible for you, you need to understand that it is going to affect your livelihood and your children's livelihoods and the livelihood of your small island state. That is very hard to do. (laughs) And um, in my country, um, I mean, there are initiatives, you know, small pockets of initiatives here and there. I don't think there is a large initiative. I don't think that the government necessarily successive and, and previous governments have taken um, climate change off the table and put it into the faces of the population as it needs mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. I do know that um, Mia Motley, the Prime Minister of Barbados, I think is the, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to say only, but she is the preeminent figure when we think about Caribbean and climate change. She mm-hmm. is the advocate for that, right? She, I think, her name comes up very easily. However, that isn't enough. It isn't enough, and it will never be enough. And because climate change is not a election-winning topic, <laughs> right? It, it tends to be sidelined. So I don't think people are that concerned. Now, people being obviously um, I, who I think is the majority, there are people who are very concerned. There are people who are trying their best, but I don't think it's very hard, as you say, to to um put this in front of people and explain, especially because, and this goes back to fiction, um, thinking about climate fiction, Afrofuturism, science fiction, a lot of it is dystopian, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of it is dystopian. A lot of it involves catastrophe and the after effects of the catastrophe. People don't like to think about depressing um, <laughs> things that will involve, you know, the, the death of humanity as we know it. <laughs> and if I were to campaign, it's not a, I would to campaign on that. It's not a light subject. It's not a light it's not subject. A light, you know, if I were to campaign, to campaign on that, I feel as though people would be like, mm, let's not let's not go with him. <laughs> right? Um, and they tend to avoid talking up talking, acknowledging, planning, spending political time on it. Um, because they naturally don't want to activate those negative dep- depressing emotional domains. Mm. Um mm. so 
by injecting hope into the narrative, whether it be fictional or real, I think you can get people to pay attention. So in saying, yes, these things may likely happen, but there is a way that if they do happen, we can get out of it. Or if they do happen, there is a way that our impact won't be as bad as it could be. I think it's very important to get people on board through hope. Um, in a more tangible way, I think fiction is a really good way to do that. Um, apart from, obviously, political willpower. And political willpower is something that is, is scarce. <laughs> scarce. In that, in that vein. And there are people who just obviously reject anything um, they think doesn't align with their agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, people who live for themselves. Mm-hmm. I live for me and I'm going to die soon, so I don't care about that. I mm-hmm. don't think that we can change their mind. Um, you know, however, it is dispiriting, I would say, especially because. Um, you know, places like America do contribute to a large portion of the, the climate issues. That when you look at the um, political, um, how do you even describe that? I don't know. I mean, I, I try, don't know. I try, I, I try every day on this show to try and figure out how to describe it. I don't know. Help! Do I don't know. Wow. I don't know how you describe it. It. it, it you do try to. to to pick out the glimmers of hope where you can and, you know, hope that those in power take some steps to help mm-hmm. the situation. But it's it's hard because those us in the Caribbean, we can't work alone. We, we really can't. Yeah. Um, we, we really can't. So, yeah, it's... I just, I, you know, I just want to say, you know, as 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 we close, I just... I appreciated the story so much because as as people who listen to Woke AF on a regular basis know I am ye of little hope, right? Um and, and yet I and 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 yet I am I, I continue to, you know, rail against the powers that be because I believe that people have more power than they know. And they do. what I they do. and what I yeah, and what I loved about your story was just, you know, again. <laughs> It was, it conjured so much imagery for me, the ship that mm-hmm. was supposedly coming to rescue. And then I'm thinking about the slave ships and I'm thinking about, yeah. you know, the, and, and what people were, they knew obviously because they're marching in captivity chained, mm-hmm. um, that what was meeting them on the other side was surely not what, what they were, what they were being forced to leave. However, yeah. this, this, your ship, you know, was saying, oh yeah, come, you know, come on. But then you, you're seeing this picture of what is on there and you're like, I don't want to live on loop. I, I want, yeah. you know, I, I want to be a part of a rebuild um, that is essentially for us and by us, right? Um, yeah. And this holding on to language. The last question that I have for you um, is one I don't even know if there is an answer for, but I, but it, it came to my mind. For you, um, Akem, what is the difference between hope and faith? You had said that hope, you must go through catastrophe in order to have. And so I'm curious for you if what the difference is. <laughs> the difference between hope and faith. Um, you have faith in that what you hope for comes true. <laughs> um, 
I think faith is hope. You hope for something. Mm-hmm. You have faith in that something. So I think hope is sort of the, sorry, faith is the vehicle for hope to mm. get from one place to the other. So we are, we're here right now. It's 2022. And we have some faith in that what we hope for turns out to be what is realized. So I think that's how I, I would I would say the difference between hope and faith is they, they work together. They're friends. They're friends. They're friends. I love, <laughs> I love They're friends. it very much. Um, um, yeah, I just, again, um, Akem, the the story, friends listening, uh, is, so the, is the lexicographer <laughs> and One Tree Island. Um, we will put a link to it in the show notes uh, so that you can sit back and either listen to it or read it. It was an absolute pleasure um, to to read. So, Akem Alexis, thank you so much for joining Woke Up. I appreciate you. I appreciate it. Thank you. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.